Well, everybody, it's March Madness. Uh, Welcome to the Tulsa World podcast on Oklahoma athletics. We talk everything OU, Eli Letterman and myself, Eric Bailey. It's good to see you guys again. And while I am uh, down here in Oklahoma, doing some softball stuff, just doing some things around here, Eli's in the great city of Kansas City, where he's up there watching the men and women, Oklahoma men and women uh, play basketball in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, Eli, tough loss last night, Bedlam. Third game they played against Oklahoma State. Just really, we talked about this before we came on camera. Just a tough matchup. You knew going in it was a tough matchup for the Sooners. And just a tough way for the regular season and the Big 12. Just the way the whole year went. It just really was encapsulated in this one game. Yeah, well, I'm coming to you from the luxurious Fairfield Marriott right here in downtown (laughs) KC. And I've lasted longer uh, this week in Kansas City than than OU's men's basketball program. Because last night, kind of really fit a familiar mold, both in the way some of OU's games this season have gone, but really particularly these Oklahoma State matchups, which I think, you know, there were were talent gaps of varying degrees between OU and and its counterparts in the Big 12 this year. I don't know that there was a worse matchup for them than Oklahoma State. Uh, This this marked three times now that they've just completely manhandled them, beaten them on the perimeter, dominated them inside. I mean, I I think Tanner Groves is really valiant effort last night because he was fighting till the very end. I mean, he played 33 minutes and, and in large part was, it was, it was valiant, but it was a three on one affair and and they just got killed inside again, completely overmatched. There, there were really only spurts of that game where OU felt like they were in it, which felt really familiar to those previous matchups. And now OU goes home. OSU has its first single season, three game sweep of the Sooners since 1964, 65. Uh, and and now OU heads home with, I think, a lot of questions. Um, Porter Motor, Moser himself acknowledged those questions last night of, of what they've got to do now uh, building toward year three because year two was was not just a step back but a, a disappointment. 15 and 17 this season, uh, first losing season, I think, since 2018 for the Sooners. Uh, and Porter Moser, like you said, year, year two ends not, not like you wanted. 34 and 33 in two seasons. I think there's a lot of questions about personnel. There's, like you said, there's a lot of questions about direction of the program, who stays, who goes. I mean, the transfer portal really changes everything. And, and you know, are there going to be some departures for the Sooners? Are they going to get some uh, additions that, you know, the additional help that they really need? Of course, you know, replacing uh, Tanner Groves and trying to find that big guy, I think, is a priority uh, in, in the paint. I mean, we saw that last night, how much athleticism and, and size can really disrupt what Oklahoma is trying to do. So uh, a lot of questions for Porter Mosier. Uh let me ask you this. I know there's plenty of time to talk about basketball, but if you had to pick an MVP for this OU basketball team this season, who would you say uh, was the MVP of this year? I'd probably go with, with Jalen Hill because he's the guy who, you know, uh, it's funny. I was on the radio somewhere yesterday and someone looked at the stat line from the regular season finale and saw Jalen Hill had no points. And I said, hold on, take a look back at that box score and tell me about his rebounds, his assists. Uh, and, and what doesn't show up there is his defense. Jalen Hill, he, there were nights he scored this season. There were nights he didn't. Every single night he was rebounding. He was a, 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 a contributor in terms of facilitating and, and racking up assists. And he was far and away their best defensive player. I mean, only earlier this week, Porter Moser uh, used the term befuddled for, why, uh, for how he felt about Jalen Hill being left off the all-defense team for the Big 12. He handled Brandon Miller when when Alabama came and and handled the toughest assignments in the the nation's toughest league uh, week uh, week in, week out. And, you know, Grant Sherfield was important to them at times. 
Tanner Groves the same, but neither were as consistent as Jalen Hill. And, um, you know, you mentioned the guys who could come and go. The only one who can't come back is Tanner Groves. And I'd have to imagine Jalen Hill should be high on the list of guys that OU fans want back. He may well also be really high on the list of some other programs. And if, if he, I'd imagine if he wants to, he may want to finish out his career as an OU lifer. But if he were to head to the portal, I, I can't imagine there's there's a short list of, of big time programs that could use a guy like him. Let me switch gears. We talked about MVP about this team. Who who would you who would be your newcomer of the year? Uh, there were some talented players, some talented newcomers that really helped this team, and someone players you could build a futures upon. Well, you, you mentioned the future there, and again, Grant Sherfield finished the, the season as the team's leading scorer. They hard to think about where they'd be without him, uh, and and I don't know how much of this was on him because he was sort of the guy that the defenses could key in on because there was not a lot of threat beyond him offensively, but. I think his inconsistency ultimately was at the core of a lot of the struggles uh, for OU, especially in Big 12 play, just up and down. So I'd probably go Low Suzanne as, as, as looking to the future of a freshman guard who really jumped right in. And, you know, it was only early January where Porter Moser was referring to him, you know, no longer as a freshman, really, because he wasn't playing freshman minutes. And uh, I think something that should be encouraging is this, you know, Low Suzanne kind of hit that freshman wall in February, seemingly. And, and overcame it and finished strong in the final weeks of February and into March. So if we're looking toward the future, I think that's where it's got to start is, is looking at those freshmen, uh, him and Otega Owe, who we saw the most of, building from there and then building out of the portal. But as I think Porter Moser learned last offseason, that's easier said than done. Uh, I, I, I would have anticipated in November we'd be talking a lot more about Joe Bamisil. We didn't see him play at all last night. And that's that's pretty telling, I think, of the portal can sound great, but you've really got to hit there. And I, I don't think that's an easy science. Well, your stay in Kansas City is extended. <laughs> you get Indeed. a mulligan, I guess, in terms of reporting <laughs> because you get the women's basketball team. You're going to follow uh, Jenny Baranchek's team, uh, the second seeded women's basketball program. They're going to play the winner of Kansas and TCU, who played. They were taping this Wednesday. They play the the uh, early game, I think, uh, tonight, Wednesday night, and then Oklahoma will play the winner, the survivor, at 5 o'clock tomorrow. This this bracket, this really sets up the second seed is the highest seed Oklahoma's been in quite some time. They haven't won this event since 2007. Uh, they enter with a lot of, lot of uh, confidence, but then there's a question mark with Maddie Williams. Uh, Maddie Williams, of course, was injured in the first quarter of Saturday's Bedlam game against Oklahoma State, didn't return. Uh, Jenny Baranchek this week said she's probably going to be a game time decision. She's going to do everything she can to get back on the floor. Uh, we heard yesterday she was uh, at the high school games in Lloyd Noble Center watching the games and putting on a big brace at the time too. So protecting that knee. And I really think Jenny Branchek is in, in a tricky situation because this is the last game, last games for Maddie Williams. And you want, you need her because she makes, she means so much. She's a unanimous all big 12 player, but then you kind of protect her future too, because she is going to play professional basketball. You want to make sure that anything that's injured, that's not, it's not extended into her future. So it's kind of a, a slippery slope. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. Well, and, and the mixed bag there as well. I mean, you're exactly right. There's a, a hopefully for Maddie Williams, a long future playing basketball. But even in the near term, it's a question of, you know, how much do these games in Kansas City matter relative to, to what OU is going to be playing in a week or two? And my question for you, Eric, is this. You look at the AP Top 25, and Oklahoma is 14th in the nation right now. You look at the net rankings, and they sit 37th. And so you kind of wonder where they land and, and maybe where the selection committee sees them. What, what is Oklahoma playing for? Because we know they're going to be in the field. 
but is it are, are they effectively playing for for hosting at this point seeding what do you feel like is on the line this weekend other than a big 12 championship opportunity exactly and i think the hosting thing is the big thing you always want to play at home and they got a taste of it last year when they they hosted a regional so i think that's the real important thing is you know what's going to happen where are they going to where are they going to go what you know i think for Oklahoma's sake, I think, of course, if you win the Big 12 championship, I think you do host. I think, you know, you're a Big 12 champion. I think the net ranking does go up a little bit, but I think it's just, you know, the, the way that their season finishes if they do win out. If they get to the title game, it's going to be a little bit iffy, I think. But I think you do have to get to the title game just to be in that conversation to host. Uh, they're prepared to host. I know the, the senior class of Maddie Williams, Anna Lanusa, and uh, Taylor Robertson, they want to play more games at Lloyd Noble. So I think that's, uh, and it goes back to Maddie Williams. I mean, <laughs> could you, if you get to the championship game and she's feeling better and you've sat her two games, do you play her the third game? That's part of that slippery slope. I think you're just trying to figure out what happens. Of course, you know, seeding is big. You want to get the highest seed you can too. Uh, but it, it was funny, uh, Jenny Branchick was asked about, you know, we asked her about, you know, what's going to happen when, you know, and they just want to take it one game at a time, of course. And, you know, we got the general coach speech, which, we, you know, the question was asked and we knew the answer was going to be that, uh, you know, they're going to have a tough game right away. Kansas, if the Kansas, they play Kansas, which I think is going to happen, it's, it's it's kind of a tougher matchup for them, too. And and then, uh, you know, Iowa State and Bay, or Baylor in, in the semifinals, that's going to be no fun. So even getting to the championship game is going to be tough. But I think they need to get there. Uh, uh, to really have a chance to host, and uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride, and I know I'm looking forward to you getting to go see uh, these games at Municipal Auditorium. I'm stoked for that. It looks like such an incredible venue, uh, and I believe relative to where we're sitting, much to the uh, complaint of a lot of the media contingent, where we're sitting in T-Mobile Center, I think we'll have much better views inside Municipal Auditorium. It's interesting, <laughs> just noting, you know. It, th things are going to change all week with the results around the country in conference tournaments. But if, if, you know, right behind Oklahoma at 14 in the AP poll is Texas, who's beaten OU twice. And, and that could be our, uh, our championship preview right there is a, Texas in that net ranking sits 11th. So for whatever all that's worth, and it, if they are playing for one hosting spot, let's just say they are, it might just come down to what happens Sunday. If, if the top two seeds in this conference get there, um, it might require Oklahoma. I, I I maybe struggle to see Oklahoma getting that hosting bid if they get to Sunday and lose to Texas a third time and they're right on the fringe. It might require them to win or or maybe things break across the country that that make it so that, uh, you know, a quality loss like that doesn't burn them. But uh, I, I do think hosting for a, a multitude of reasons is pretty big for the Sooners and would be big toward, you know, th their aspirations later this month. And it's funny, too, we talk about matchups, how Oklahoma State was a tough matchup for the OU men Tuesday night. Uh, Texas is a, is a tough Texas matchup. Texas is an albatross, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. And if you don't have a healthy Maddie, Maddie Williams, it, the, the road gets tougher. So, you know, that's what makes March fun, though. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, you get to the games, you know, we don't even know if Texas will make it to the championship game. You never know what can happen. That's, I don't, that's the thing. Sitting here projecting on, um, on Thursday morning what's going to be Sunday is a silly task. Exactly. Uh, we've learned that every year. Well, let's let's switch sports and big week for football. I mean, this was a huge week for football. And, and practice hadn't even started. Yeah, not on the field, Red not Venables. recruiting, not in, exactly. I mean, I guess personnel-wise with the staff uh, yeah. contracts. But you're exactly right. A huge week for Oklahoma football and not a pass was thrown. Let me just throw this number out to you, and then you explain how big this number is. 
$175 million. That, you know, you think about it, that's almost a quarter of a, you're, you're almost a quarter of a billion dollars, if you put it that way, you know, and with the student uh, center, the academic center, it is a quarter of a billion dollars. That's a ton of money, but $175 million, just kind of explain that figure and what why we were talking about it this week. Well, the starting out point here is that as expected, although the figures were, were not on our radar until this week, uh, the OU Board of Regents met and approved uh, an absurd <laughs> figure of, of athletic spending across across the athletic department. Uh, I think it's going to impact upwards of 13 individual programs, $400 million roughly, 389 I think to be exact in athletic spending uh, in the coming years. And if you want to tie those things to the SEC, both in the financial element of what the SEC is going to bring, but also the timing, uh, you know, look no further than Joe Harris in that meeting, university president talking about how uh, having those dates, knowing that OU is headed to the SEC on July 1st, 2024, has, has really cleared things up for them. So we're talking about spending that is going to go across the entire athletic uh, kind of campus on the campus in Norman. But the big one is football, $175 million football operations center. Uh, you know, Joe C. might have said it best. Everything you can imagine goes into a place like that is what they'll have, and it'll probably be state-of-the-art. Um, and, and that is, you know, when you hear Joe Castiglione talk about it, it's, it's keeping up. It's, it's staying ahead of the curve and remaining competitive. The word competitive keeps coming up when we're talking about this kind of spending. And, you know, this, this does come in the backdrop of, 2018, you open the Switzer Center, which is going to have new uses. They're going to repurpose it. Uh, and, and we can debate, Eric, you know, is $175 million is the best use of that for a football facility of all the things you do in this world. But if we were talking about the world of major college athletics and major college football and keeping OU on the cutting edge, going to the SEC, this is what that looks like. And that's what OU is doing. And that should be encouraging to Sooner fans. And, and I'll finish just with this, Eric, you and I kind of had talked about this and did a little research. That $175 million blows almost every other recent facilities upgrade out of the water across the country. Nebraska's at $165 million for something they're opening, a massive new complex that these projects maybe mirror each other. Maybe Nebraska will be a good reflection of what OU might have in a few years, but Auburn, $91.9 million. Florida, $85 million. Georgia, $80 million. South Carolina, $50 million, all in the last couple of years. So this OU facility, at least on the estimated figures, is going to blow everybody else out of the water. Uh, and what should, you know, maybe set the new standard is going to sit in Norman. You know, you think about it, too. 2018, I remember getting the, uh, the tour of the Switzer Center. They had a meeting tour where we saw everything. We saw the locker room. We saw... The, the the training room we saw the 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 pool the, the you know the recovery pool uh and you know they were even so proud of a, a barber a barbershop chair that they put in the locker room they were they were so excited about that well this is going to blow that totally away i mean 175 million and you're right in in the real world you think that's a ton of money but in the college football world it's what you need to 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 really when you're recruiting against the Alabamas, the Georgias of the world now, the, the big time programs, you have to have, you know, everything you can. And can you imagine a recruit coming into town and saying in, in Oklahoma, Brent Venables is able to say, this is where we're going to, you know, this is home base. This is where we're going to anchor everything that you do. And to see an $175 million facility for recruiting, it's going to be huge. And even before the building is even built, I mean, they're going to be able to go into recruits uh, homes and say, we're spending this and you can be a part of this. So I think for recruiting, I think this is huge. 
And, uh, you know, you think where it's going to be placed right there between the indoor and, and the stadium, it, it, it's really, it's a natural spot for where they're going to build this. Everything's coming together. So uh, we'll see. Uh, here's a question I, I should know the answer to. Are they looking at 2025 or when, when do they have a projected opening date? Or do they say it, give a timeline or are they just looking for, you know, the go ahead on what they're going to do? Yeah, I'd imagine within the walls in Norman, there's probably some projected date but there's like no public timeline yet okay. it's okay. all pretty early the other uh much smaller than uh, at least headline wise than that 175 million was that they uh proposed the hire of a uh construction manager to work alongside the architect for this project so that was the next step but that gives you maybe some insight okay. as to where they are you know joe castiglione talking about that person being able to work alongside the architect to figure out the designs, the spending, how it's going to interact with the existing spaces and, and all that. So I think we're still in the infancy and, and on, you know, all the projects they announced the other day, there's no real timeline. Love's Field is probably the closest one, just yeah. in that we know when they'd like to get in there and the ground has been broken over on the new softball facility. But um, right now it's a lot of big figures without a lot of dates. Um, but just running down that list, if I may, Beyond that $175 million for, for the football operations facility, $75 million for a student-athlete success center, $47.9 million for softball, $45 million for baseball, $13.75 million on the gymnastics. Uh, another one we can get to is the $9.5 million renovation of uh, inside Lloyd Noble Center. Uh, and then even the, the, the golf, tennis, and indoor track teams all getting more than $5, you know, $5 million for track, eight and a half for, for golf and tennis. Everyone there, I mean, there's only a handful of programs not being impacted here, or, or they're getting that facelift. And I think that is where you look. Whenever they come, that is a response to the SEC and, and knowing that they've got to step up some of those facilities. You mentioned, you asked Porter Mosier about the, the basketball. Uh, what, what was his answer when he talked about the basketball funding and, and the future for basketball? Well, the order of operations here was interesting because it was Monday afternoon or Monday morning that the agenda came out for this Board of Regents meeting. Uh, they met on Tuesday to approve these uh, budgets along with a whole host of other things. Monday, though, we the, the agenda was out, so we could ask Porter about it. And it was probably the most pointed he's been on this subject. He has, since he got hired, talked about, you know, the, the promise of a new venue for away from Lloyd Noble Center, or at least a, an upgrade on Lloyd Noble Center, something like that. He has continued to bang that drum, but Monday felt to me, you know, in the past he's been a bit, you know, I'm confident we're headed that direction. I trust uh, the administration. And I, this didn't indicate anything different from that, but this was him saying, you know, essentially they're going to spend nearly $10 million to renovate the team suites inside the current facility that you say you need to get out of. What do you think about that? And he, he basically just drove home that the commitment needs to be toward a new venue, whatever that looks like. So that's filled into Tuesday and, and Joe C kind of revealing probably the latest, um, at least from OU on on the possibilities for future homes of, of the, you know, the, the men's and women's basketball programs. And the two options essentially uh, seemingly are that that University North Park project that local Norman residents were were surveyed on late last year, uh, talking about a huge mixed use development, entertainment district, restaurants, hotels, office space, residential with an arena. Yeah. The other option, which uh, I can imagine probably where a lot of folks lean, is they've apparently hired an architect to at least engage and look on at, at what they could do in a reimagined Lloyd Noble Center using the same site. I, I'd imagine a pretty full scale renovation, but a renovation of the current building, 
Um, but but I think the the overall stance, whether it's Porter Moser or Joe Castiglione, is that a change is needed. They've yeah. got to. They've been you know at this point a years long effort to find a new arena, and that appears to be the latest with Joe C essentially saying that kind of their probes into those two as he put it, simultaneous efforts, um, they should know more by June. And so maybe in June, we'll have a better sense on what the future looks like there. Eli, I'm going to throw another number out at you. Uh, and I, I want to talk about this one. The number I want to throw at you is $7.75 million. Yes. Which is the combined assistant coach pool for salaries. Uh, all the coaches got, uh, except one coach, I guess. We'll talk about Brent that. Brent staff, as we're talking yeah, about, right? Yeah, Brent football staff, coaching football staff. staff, yeah. Uh, all except one, and we'll get into that in a second, um, receive contract extensions or a salary bump or both. Um, the Board of Regents, uh, they voted to approve a lot of changes on contracts, extending contracts and such. And a lot of the assistant coaches are on two-year deals. So when you get an extension, basically, it's put another year on top of that one year left because all these coaches, a lot of these assistants only had one year left on their contract, gives them a second year. Now there's two coaches that are through the 2025 season, which is three-year deals. That's uh, Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, and Todd Bates. Um, both those coaches also received a, a, a raise. Now Jeff Levy is now making $1.9 million as the offensive coordinator, $100,000 raise. That was written into his original contract. Uh, Todd Bates received almost uh, gosh, $225,000 raise. Uh, to 665, but that also was written into his contract last year. Uh, so there was no approval for a salary increase. It was just his original deal where he was getting the bump. All the other coaches, uh, their contracts were extended through the 2024 season, meaning the other eight coaches are on two-year deals. Uh, the only one that wasn't extended was Ted Roof. Uh, Ted Roof had an original three-year deal, and there was no year tacked onto his, so his, his contract drops to a two-year deal. He did get a $50,000 raise, so he's, as defensive coordinator, he's making $1.15 million. Now, with Ted Roof, it's kind of interesting, Eli. I've been thinking about this a little bit. You know, a lot of people weren't happy with the productivity of the defense this year. And, you know, there were a lot of po finger pointing at Ted Roof. And so I think, uh, you know, and Brent Venables, you know, totally – you know, back to his defensive coordinator. This is his defensive coordinator. I mean, Brent Venables wasn't going to make a change. You know, we, we've seen that now. When we do see a year not being extended, it brings up some question marks. I mean, is it something where, Brent, you know, Ted Roof and me and you are guilty of talking about his age. I mean, it, we, in casual conversations. Indirectly, course, indirectly. Indirectly, uh, yeah. Like, I'll ask, you know, you've coached a long time, Coach. And, and he'd look at me and I think you yeah, were. You've had a lot of stops. Yeah, exactly. So, but you know, yeah, you've had a lot of stops. That was, yeah. So we, we need to work on our questioning to Ted Roof. But seriously, I mean, here's a coach who's coached a lot. I mean, is he going to coach a lot more years? Uh, that is that why he wasn't extended? Or, you know, is this a way of OU saying, okay, let's see where we're at after next year? And, you know, maybe we'll talk extension next year. So I'm kind of curious what's happening with uh, Ted Roof's contract. Yeah, that's probably the biggest individual takeaway from that development, right? Is the one coach who didn't get that extension. But as you said, it could be as simple as just, you know, the process and, and how they're doing things, or it could be, you know, a, a bit of a, you know, prove it. And, you know, if, let's revisit this next year. Uh, to me, beyond that, I think it's just the overall show of faith in, in Brent Venable's staff. I mean, the fact that they're retaining uh, everyone, but, you know, they, they had that an interim coach, a wide receiver following Kale Gundy's departure, the Damian Washington. They went ahead and, and made a hire there, Emmett Jones, whose contract was approved. He's going to make 
550k this year an increase from when he made at texas tech a year ago but on the whole i think it's just that that after year one and after uh, uh the first losing season since 1998 this staff you know everyone on the staff maybe it was procedural to just not have people running their contracts down that there's a whole element there but i, I think it's it's about keeping the staff intact and showing some faith in that continuity of, of where they're headed where where brent venables has this thing going and you know, Joe Castiglione even just mentioned that, you know, the NF, they're seeing across college football, the NFL hiring cycle still impacting college uh, this time of year. And, and in that sense, it cannot hurt to be making your current staff happier uh, and not letting them get their heads turned. I think a new contract for, for some of those guys who perhaps could be attractive uh, or attracted to NFL jobs. Uh, that's a part of this too. So I, I think overall a show of faith, but if you want to look at an individual contract, the most interesting one is probably the one that that didn't get extended. You know, it's funny too. I and mean, it, it's a, to tell you how much this game's changed in 20 years when Bob Stoops, his first year, when he had such success in year one, year two, his 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 salary got bumped to 2.1 million as a head coach. And everyone thought 2.1 million, that's a lot of money. Well, now look at this. Uh, Jeff Levy, offensive coordinator, is making 1.9. So that's how much the game has progressed. And, you know, our friend Jeremy Poplin over at uh, the Blitz 11.7 radio, he tweeted this. Uh, he subtweeted something that I wrote or quote tweeted something I wrote. You know, Oklahoma's coaches are at 7.75. Uh, Alabama's coaches, Nick Saban's staffs, just a little over eight. So Oklahoma's in the ballpark. You know, you talk about the facilities and how you have to really be, you know, within, you know, you got to set the set the tone for the college football world. I think that's what Oklahoma is doing for college football salaries too. They're making sure that they're competitive with some of the big programs, the Alabamas of the country too. So uh, I thought that was interesting too. So all coaches uh, except for uh, Jeff Levy and Todd Bates, good through the 2024 season. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's, so that's where we're at right there. This uh, is what competitive looks like for what it's worth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you want to talk about, uh, again, the, the, Financial figures themselves are staggering, but if you want to talk about OU remaining a blue blood, going to the SEC, holding its own, and, and whatever this next era of college football looks like, this is exactly it. It's having a coach's salary pool that resembles the very best in the country and facilities and spending on facilities like the very best in the country. It's not going to buy them wins on the field mm -hmm. necessarily or directly. But this is what that looks like. And so if you're an OU fan, I, I think you, you should be excited about seeing those things. It's, it's easy to get excited about a five-star recruit and for good reason. But if you want to talk infrastructure and, and those maybe less exciting elements of, of building, these are them, I think. Uh, and, and, and that's got to be encouraging. And something that we know, I think a lot of people know this, but something that be noted that the, almost 95% of these funds come outside of athletic department and school funds. I mean, the base salary is through the school, 300,000. A lot of them, around 300,000 is the base. But after that, everything else comes from outside funds. So it's not like the school is, you know, they're taking taxpayer money and paying these big salaries. That is definitely not the case. So I think that's important to, to note too. And also just worth noting on all those facilities projects, that's a, a, they're all funded through a combination of private and athletic department funds. We do know, you know, that, that OU Athletics played a really big role. I think it was about a third of the fundraising in a record-setting fundraising year for the University of Oklahoma last calendar year uh, came from athletics. And so there, the, whoever uh, that fundraising base is, is motivated. 
and and so they're they're bringing that money in. They're going to have more money coming in with the SEC. I think there's some anticipation yeah. there in terms of uh, the figures we're talking about. So the money appears to be there. The planning seems to be there. And, and now the, the train is, is getting set to leave the station on a lot of what should be exciting stuff that, that will elevate OU. Before we wrap things up, let's go to spring sports. It's funny. We've talked to about everything but spring sports. We've been so busy with everything with March Madness, yeah. football, uh, you know, baseball. They're playing really well right now. It's, you know, I know there were some people worried early, but as we said, the last two podcasts, I think give it time. They're finding themselves and now they're they're hitting a little bit of a roar right now. Yeah, they have. They they swept the midweek with uh, with UNLV after a good weekend in Frisco with some other kind of high major programs. And uh, now it's six of seven after a rough start. They won six of seven. The pitching uh, is beginning to come along. The offense has started to heat up. You're seeing it from from some of the guys who have been around, you know, Jackson Nicholas heating up, Wallace Clark hitting. And then you've got all these these transfers. Anthony McKenzie has been uh, an incredible addition. Uh, another transfer. Uh, Bryce Madron began the week, at least, leading the nation in walks. So they're beginning to get the production they need. The pitching is coming along, both uh, on the starting front and, and then midweek here. To, to have the pitching to get through two midweek wins without leaning on your your weekend starters is encouraging. And it's it's all the stuff that Skip Johnson, I'm sure, would like to see. I'm, I'd also wager he's got a lot he'd like to improve or see better. But this is the direction of travel that, that you'd like to see the Sooners going in if you're Skip Johnson. And, and this weekend, they now head to Houston. And and I think, you know, March is really just about, it's about getting through it healthy, um, but about building momentum into that start of Big 12 play. And we know what what things can look like for these Sooners in particular when the momentum gets going April, May, June, last year, all you, you got to do is look at last year's calendar and, and see just how precipitous their rise was once, uh, once spring really hit and big 12 hit. You know, it's funny. Uh, let's switch gears to softball real quick. Um, I heard Patty Gasso say something I'd never heard her say before. And she looked, when she said the word, it made me laugh because she had a confused face on her, on her, a confused look on her face. She said, start Vegas. Stark Vegas. Stark Vegas. Oklahoma is going to Mississippi State this week. You never come on. You don't know Stark Stark yeah. Vegas. Pat, Patty didn't know what Stark Vegas was. She said someone told me Stark Patty. Vegas. So this is the this is part of her initiation to the SEC. She's making a trip to Stark Vegas this weekend to play in the Mississippi State Invitational. Uh, OSU's play, or OU, excuse me, playing five games at Mississippi State. But I got a kick out of that. I mean, I open invitation to Patty Gasso to come on the pod. We can do a whole education of the SEC. <laughs> now you got my mind racing, having spent a little time in the SEC. Uh, I, I think we got to educate Patty. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're gonna, yeah, well, you're you're gonna mention all the good spots at Mizzou to eat too. All the places. Oh, that's gonna be easy. That, that's um, easy. I, I was talking to Josie about that as recently as uh, as Tuesday. Wrapping <laughs> out my plans. <laughs> well, Oklahoma four games this weekend. They're playing Southeast Louisiana twelve thirty Friday. They're playing Mississippi State, which is coached by Samantha Ricketts, uh, OU alum. Uh, they're playing them Friday at six, play Mississippi State Saturday at three, and then play finish up with a game against Omaha, 10.30 a.m. on Sunday. So Oklahoma, 17-1, and one, number one in the country. Here's this, how's this stat for you? I mean, it's funny because you just pick what's what's the storyline. Well, you look at the offense, uh, 162 runs this year, uh, just putting on, you know, they're averaging almost 10 runs a game, but it's the, it's the pitching. I mean, they've only allowed 14 runs in 18 games. And I, I kind of asked, uh, 
Patty Gasso about, you know, who's your ace? Hey, who, 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 who's your, who'd you give the ball to? Who's your, who's your ace? And she really doesn't have one. She has four pitchers that can do a lot of damage. And that's what's impressed me the most. Nicole May uh, hasn't allowed a run all season long. Alex Duraco, the Michigan transfer, threw a no-hitter last week. And, uh, and then you got Jordy Ball, who is getting better every week. Uh, she's getting back to that Jordy Ball everyone saw in her freshman year. And then Kirsten Deal, the freshman, uh, one of the top recruits in the country, if not the best recruit, uh, just she just does her job. She's learning from the other three pitchers. So I think I'm impressed with the pitching staff and the defense. Defense, too, they lead the nation. They've only made three errors in 18 games. Uh, everything's going good for Patty right now and the team. And I, I'm just impressed with how they're playing. They're rolling. Uh, one other top-ranked team, at least for the time being, to hit years is the women's gymnastics program, which went from Friday night in Norman, topping number two Florida. Uh, because of their win, Michigan jumped to number two, so that when the Sooners went there, it was another one-and-two matchup early this week. And uh, OU women's gym takes their first loss of the season, uh, which is significant, only, particularly because it is their first loss, and they've not looked at all touchable at times this year. Uh, and you know, what's interesting is last year, around the same time, it was February 25th, 2022. Here it's the first week of March. Uh, OU lost last year to Florida around the same time. And I, before that Florida meet, I had talked to KJ Kindler and some of the gymnasts about what that loss had done to them in terms of a turning point, in terms of seeing you know, what the very best would look like. It turned out to be a Florida team last year that they saw at the national championships for OU claimed a fifth title. And so this loss, I think, can, and, and KJ said she expects a hurdle at some point this month. They have it there, the Sooners, but a small blip on the radar on the whole, at least for now, and for, for a team that, that still looks like it's kind of on a, a freight train trajectory back to the NCAA championships and, and perhaps to that back-to-back title. All right. Well, Eli, let, let's wrap this up. I still busy time. I mean, we're, we're almost to spring football. Oh, and, I know, uh, man. Our, March 22nd. Uh, March 22nd, a week as we labored over before we hopped on here. It's a week from next Wednesday. <laughs> so we'll have a lot of coverage leading into spring and, of course, a ton of coverage once spring football starts. Uh, next week, we'll know what's going on with OU basket, men's basketball, if, if they're, they get an NIT invite or not. Yeah. Uh, OU women, we'll see where they're headed. Uh, and uh, next week, we'll be talking about OU softball. One more thing, they're playing a uh, top five opponent in Florida State who's going to Norman on Tuesday. So there's a big softball game next week, too. So we'll have a chance to talk about a top five softball matchup. Uh, so a lot's going on. Uh, Eli, you wrap us up. I'll wrap us up from Kansas City. Uh, thank you, of course, for listening. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google uh tulsaworld.com wherever and eric as we are every week we'll be back next week with probably a whole another uh whole another list to run down with ou athletics because it, it seemingly just never stops <laughs>